Welcome to Sound at the Source. My name is Tim Young. I'm Greg White. I'm a sound technician from Madison, Wisconsin, and the owner of Madison Pro Audio. Today, we are joined by Ryan Lewis. He's held a number of roles, including production tour manager, monitor engineer, front of house engineer, motion control operator, and PA tech for artists like Toby Mac, Amy Grant, Sam Hunt, and Building 429. He is currently the system engineer for Dave Matthews Band. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Hello. So Ryan, Greg and another local engineer have a funny way of checking in with each other by asking, how's your ponytail? This question pokes fun at the stereotype that audio techs are all just grumpy old guys with ponytails. We've adopted this as a way to see how each other's doing and what audio-related things we're currently grumpy or excited about. Basically, the longer the ponytail, the more jaded you are. But first off, let's start with Greg. How's your ponytail today, man? It's all right, man. I, uh, you know, I'm missing the, doing the live sound stuff, uh, working in, in the industry. Definitely really missing that and uh, hope to get back to it soon and kind of have this fear that it's going to be a while before we actually get back to doing, uh, you know, full-time audio work in the field again. So hmm. just trying to stay positive, but at the same time, trying to look at this uh, object- objectively. <laughs> right on, dude. Yeah, Ryan, how are you feeling today? Uh, pretty good. Uh, ponytail short. I'm bald if you've ever met me. <laughs> <laughs> And just uh, trying to take it one day at a time, you know, it's definitely an adjustment for me going from 100 miles per hour to nothing. Yeah. So were you guys, were you guys out on tour when this all happened or? Well, yes, I was out with Toby Mac at the time. We had about 10 shows left in the tour and the governor of what state were we in? Arkansas shut us down a day of show. We'd already loaded in and everything and uh, packed it up and went home. Wow, yeah. Kind of like uh Tim, you were doing it. You were setting mm-hmm. up a show, right? Yeah, I I built Jason Aldean in in Madison and we got it all up and pretty much ready to go and went on a break and came back and we loaded it all right back into the trucks. For myself, dude, I'm a my ponytail's really short. I've I've really been enjoying the spending time doing the studio work and really exploring that. Um Really taking taking time to dive into some plugins and some classic compressors, um, and even been messing around with some of that dynamic EQ stuff that we've been talking about the last couple episodes. So and applying that in a studio application, it's been pretty cool. So I guess our main topic for today, since we have Ryan on, is system engineering. And uh, Ryan, before we get into the really really fun uh, nuanced details of what you do. Um, let's first just cover the, the the basics. What is a system engineer? Sure. Uh, that's the age old question. Um, for me, the definition, it's really a balancing act of art and science, a constant stream of compromises between the two of those, uh, with the ultimate end goal being a, a consistent listening experience across all audience listening planes. All right, so where do you begin your process? Do you start with smart or do you have, I guess, take us through the workflow of like tuning a PA system? Sure. Uh, So my process is greatly grounded in the famous Bob McCarthy. Uh, He has a great book out there, Sound Systems Design and Optimization Techniques. Uh, So if this is something you're looking uh, to get into, I definitely recommend that book first and foremost. Um, 
But the process really begins with uh, the venue, uh, the listening planes, where's my audience going to be, and optimizing my speaker placement, uh, even mix position if I have a choice in that, uh, and just really making the best decisions before we even touch the gear uh, to how can I best achieve the results I want in the space that I'm in. So it's really that that mindset that you have to get into. It's a little bit different from the artistic side, the creative side. And you'll hear me constantly talk about both sides, the art side and the science side. Uh, so the process really just begins with a, a firm understanding of the space you're in and, and the goals you're trying to achieve. Yeah. How much um, at the level that you're working at, how much of your work is done with 3D, mod 3D modeling in advance and how much of it is done on site with measurements that you take? Yeah, me, I'm, I'm a planner. I do as much as possible in the foreground, really. If it's a repeat venue for me, especially, I've likely already got an, an accurate working model. If I don't have that, I probably at least have the measurements of the, the room I'm working in. And, uh, you know, different PAs mean different calculators, and you can't easily move one venue from one calculator to another in most cases. So uh, <laughs> yep. it's oftentimes redrawing the same room you might be in if you're with a different PA or a different system. Uh, for me, I'm lucky to have a small network of friends, uh, system engineers, that we all share whatever we can with each other as far as uh, rooms and drawings go. So we're we're definitely in the mindset of lighting how they do previs. Uh, doing 3D modeling as much as possible beforehand. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, you guys like, that's a, that's a really cool support group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It saves a lot of time uh, in the mornings as well, especially if it's raining, you know, you're just getting off the bus and you're like, man, <laughs> I got to go stand out in the rain yeah, and dude. draw this place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Ryan's, just to back up a little bit, Ryan's working at a level in which he's uh, the PAs that he's working with, he has the ability to draw the venues that he's coming into into a software program that allows him to model or emulate what his speakers are going to do and how they're going to respond in the room. So what we were just talking about right now is how much, like from a real world stance, how much is he able to plan in advance using that 3D mod modeler and how much is of it is just run and gun on, on site. And so Ryan's really lucky. What he just said is in, in the place, in the, he's in a position where he gets to have all that information in advance. And so he gets to do most of his prep work uh, ahead of time and not on site. Moving on from that, you've done all your uh, 3D measurements. Um, Walk us through walk us through your day. Um, you've just gotten off the bus. Hopefully, it's not raining. Uh, <laughs> and what does what does a typical day for you look like? I typically get off the bus around six thirty or seven, depending on our load in time. And I go in, survey the venue. Uh, if I've been there before, I'm looking for anything that might have changed from the drawing that I have. Uh, they love to do updates to these venues from year to year, and they might add a seating plane where one wasn't before. They might have moved front of house. Uh, there might be a brick wall behind the lawn if you're in an amphitheater <laughs> that wasn't there before. Mm. Um, so from that point on, I typically am the one to chalk out my own rigging points, uh, mm -hmm. either based off of being there before or where I can get the most 
dead hangs to make the rigor stay easier. And then I just focus in on where those PA points are and make sure that everything is tracking within my drawing uh, for pin angles, trim heights, up tilt, down tilt, and really just fine tuning, polishing, seeing what I can do to make it easier for the PA techs flying the PA. Uh, and then from there, I'm usually flying one side of the PA. Uh, if I'm not, I'm building front of house and then verifying as the PA is getting built. And then from there, uh, we go into system verification, making sure everything's penned correctly, uh, no errors there, uh, into tuning, uh, which I usually start with the side of the PA that's up first. Uh, we might eat lunch if it's a good day. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, right into some line checks, uh, sound checks, and that just varies depending on how many openers we have. Uh, with Dave Matthews, we typically don't have openers, which is pretty nice. Uh, and then we go into doors, where I'm just babysitting walk-in music, uh, dinner, and then uh, showtime and loadout. So it's pretty much nonstop from 7 a.m. till 1 a.m., so um, as far as like different PAs and different uh, front of house engineers, like uh, so I guess let's say Dave Matthews front of house guy, is he looking for a, a flat response or is he looking for a tilted response? Like how much uh, do you guys communicate about that? And uh, you know, what are some of the parameters that determine that, how you're going to tune the PA? Yeah, so we have a pretty unique way compared to some other front of house engineers I work with we took an average from the previous year in different venues within SMART of probably 15 or 20 shows, uh, what our frequency curves looked like, if you're familiar with, with target curves, mm -hmm. and, and averaged those and took our average and started applying that as our target curve. Uh, right so in, instead of just a pure flat response, which we found we didn't really like too much we started using that, which is very much a tilted response, you know, about a 3 dB uh, per octave roll off from about 800. That's super cool. Um, could you dive into uh, target traces just a little bit? Sure. Uh, so target traces you can either create manually, uh, which is kind of what we do. We, we take a transfer function in and out of our desk and use the desk EQ to kind of shape uh, what our target curve would look like. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of guys, this has become how they repeat their, their how do I describe it, their, their target, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. how they repeat their mix from venue to venue. Um, so yeah, it's basically just a snapshot of the shape of your system and trying to copy and paste it, if you will, from day to day, which we all know it's going to react differently from venue to venue, but it gives us a great starting point. Um, how involved are you during the show? Like, do you have this open line of communication with the front of house or this silent communication, hand signals, like what, whatever it may be, like, do you have to make changes like during the show or how involved are you during the show? I, I kind of have a long answer uh, to this to get to my <laughs> shorter answer. Uh, but I'll answer it this way. I always joke around with the similarity that a system engineer shares with a golf caddy. 
you're kind of a guide or a Sherpa scaling Mount Everest every day. And just like a caddy studies and learns everything they can about a golf course and the clubs their golfer uses to achieve certain shots, a system engineer studies and learns everything they can about each venue they're in, as well as which obstacles they're up against, like temperature, humidity, problematic reflections. And you use what tools are available to you, whether that's smart or your system DSP, uh, to achieve the, the very best in results. I always tell production managers, you're not paying me for when everything is going right. You're paying me for my experience to handle when everything is going wrong. <laughs> Uh, much like a pilot flying a commercial aircraft, the airline isn't paying them to know how to fly just an autopilot. So during the show, you're first and foremost monitoring the system, control software, amplifier statuses, your system processors, uh, the front of house console even, and the outboard gear, ready to jump out of that autopilot mode at a moment's notice. Uh, simultaneously, you're walking the venue with your tablet making sure that you're reproducing within reason the same mix everywhere. So it's a lot of multitasking. So you talked about uh, having <laughs> you're getting paid for reacting when things go wrong. What are, what are some examples of, of the, the PA or something in the system going wrong and you having to react on a, on a, uh, in a matter of seconds? Yeah, so actually this past summer, I was out front in Chicago at the amphitheater there and we all of a sudden, third song in, have a 1K tone coming down the entire system. Uh, I'm out on the lawn, actually, with the tablet, and my first re reaction is, what did I do wrong? What did I press? Um, or did my front of house guy spill something on the desk? So mm -hmm. I start running back to front of house uh, to find it completely blank of LED lights or anything. So my first impulse is we lost power. Uh, come to find out our console had crashed. So what do you do with 20,000 fans uh, in silence, borderline booing you, everybody looking at you? Basically, all your, your worst nightmares coming true. Uh, so fortunately for us, we had planned a, a backup feed from the monitor engineer to feed down our drive lines to front of house that we could flip his mix into our system processors. So we still had the PA, and we just muted our inputs, went to his mix, which is obviously a big change. But it mm -hmm. was passing audio, which is rule number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I had a production manager tell me years ago, you know, Ryan, your job is, number one, pass audio. Rule number two, pass audio. And rule number three, maybe make it sound good. <laughs> Um, yeah. Do you do you have a preference? I mean, I don't know what uh, Dave Matthews tours with or what company you guys are using, but do you have a preference in the software? Do you like L Acoustics or Meyer? Are they all the same to you? Like, what's your preference? I feel like I'm always pivoting from one to the other, especially during festival season. Uh, for my workflow, I would say DMB is probably my favorite, just from the software, how intuitive it is really out of the box. You don't have to have a whole lot of training to figure out what you're doing. You can certainly do a lot of things wrong, but for me, that's been the easiest to come right out of the gate uh, to get the results you need. Uh, and just the integration between array calc, 
Uh, I like uh, how you can design the subs in there relatively easy. And taking that same file and moving it into R1, which is their AMP control software, uh, is, is pretty seamless. So uh, I would say that would probably be my first pick if I'm just going out with somebody I've never worked with before. Dave Matthews, obviously, they tour with Meyer, uh, which, again, they kind of invented the uh, proper uh, calculator, if you will, for, for speaker systems, or probably one of the most accurate uh, with MAP. So taking a MAP file, uh, you can depend on it with uh, great certainty. So Meyer probably comes in a, in a close second for me of ease of use. Again, you can, you can go a million wrong directions with any PA, but I, I think they, both those manufacturers have done a really great job of protecting the end user from, from screwing it up too much. Yeah, for sure. Um, so maybe you touched on this a little bit, but is there a situation where, I guess with Dave Matthews and these these other acts that you're working with, you, you, do you have situations where you're like coming into a festival and you don't have very much time and you kind of just have to deal with whatever with whatever's there and available, um, or do you always really kind of have time to dial stuff in and get it to where you want it? Uh, the benefit there is if I am working with the headliner, which I almost always am, mm-hmm. uh, we usually have more time than we really need. But there certainly are scenarios where bus breaks down or inclement weather forces our sound cut to be our sound check to be you know ten minutes versus two hours. So it's it's definitely a game of compromises. It's what can we achieve in this amount of time, and sometimes it's a throw and go scenario. Uh, so yeah, it's it's both worlds. It's either prime and polished or rough, you know, right out of the first song for the show, right. <laughs> Do you have any advice that you would give to somebody that's interested in system engineering? Yeah. um, I think something I wish somebody had told me in the beginning is you don't have to know everything and you never will know everything. Uh, I would say pursue excellence and you won't fail if you're passionate about it. Uh, Never stop learning and don't be afraid to try new things with your techniques. That's... uh, probably the best advice I could give, you know, make mistakes because you'll never make them again. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And like I said, for resources, the resources are really unlimited. Now you can go anywhere online and, and see how somebody would suggest, how do I phase align my subs with my mains? Uh, Mm -hmm. Or how do I time a front fill in? You can find a, a, a million resources compared to 20 years ago. So, uh, sort of like what you guys are doing, they use the resources that are out there and never stop learning. I have a couple Dave Matthews Band specific questions. Um, if if your your camp is cool talking about that stuff, yeah, I don't know everything, but <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> no, I was so I guess for me, um, I I work for a local production company and we're uh, EV and L Acoustics. Um, and I've been really getting into L Acoustics, um, sound vision and network manager and all that kind of stuff and really designing my own, uh, systems for some of our local venues. Um, and one of the things that I've been really working with right now is, um, the age old question of subwoofer deployment. And I was wondering, um, what you guys are doing with, with Dave Matthews band and how, 
because there's that constant battle between low end coming on stage and trying to get that low end rejection and the best uh, the best experience for the audi- audience out front. And I'm, I was wondering kind of where Dave Matthews' uh, camp draws the line as far as subs are concerned. Yeah, funny enough, you bring that up. L Acoustics just released some documentation on the the whole battle of flown versus ground subs. I'm not sure if you saw that. I saw the webinar. I haven't had a chance to dive into it yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it is definitely opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> there is no <laughs> right or wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for specifically for the Dave Camp, low end on stage is very important for them avoiding. Uh, you know, with all the acoustic guitars, uh, and they're recording every single show for archive purposes, so they want it as clean as possible on stage. But they also don't want it completely dead. Uh, so the compromise there has been: let's fly the subs in amphitheaters uh, because it gives us a more equal distribution of low end across the listening plane versus blowing out the front row to try to get the same SPL 90 feet away at front of house. And then we kind of amend that when we go into uh, arenas. We'll use ground subs uh, in conjunction with flown subs, but we really treat the ground subs more of as pit subs that are covering the first 50 feet. So we minimize the interaction with front of house as much as possible. Gotcha. So, yeah, some guys try to use them as floor fill uh, for low end if you're flying subs. Uh, some guys might try to use both, uh, depending on where you're aligning them at. And are you guys, when you're flying them or when they're, when they're on the ground, are you running them in cardioid or are they just straight out? The flown subs are in cardioid, yes. And the pit subs, we, we've played around with both. We've pretty much landed uh, non-cardioid for the floor because the amplitude is so low on those typically for only covering 50 feet that it's negligible what it's contributing to stage volume, especially in an arena. And are you trying to reduce a certain frequency on stage? Like are you doing the math for 80 hertz or 60 hertz or what's the process there? Yeah, that tends to vary depending on where the drum tech has tuned the fundamental of the kick drum that day, uh, which basses are being played by, by Stefan. Um, so that's definitely just a day-to-day thing for us. If there's a resonant frequency in the room that's really killing us, I would say more often than not, it's in the 60 to 70 range. That stuff's interesting. When I uh, did the, the smart uh, class, uh, we talked about that and how you can really fine tune the cancellation on stage. It's really interesting. Yeah. All right. Do you have anything else, Tim? Or <laughs> I don't have any. I, I mean, I could talk to you for hours about this because I'm also <laughs> I'm halfway through Bob McCarthy's book right now, so I could just like go to town. But I'm gonna <laughs> save our listeners uh, from having to <laughs> having to deal it, with that. Um, it's a mind yeah. warp. And I guess like a uh, quick shout out to the listeners of the podcast. Um, if any of this. If any of these questions about smart transfer functions, any of that kind of stuff, delaying your subs, uh, feel free to throw your questions in the Facebook discussion group, and Greg and I will do our best to um, either answer the questions ourselves or provide you with resources 
Ryan, thanks for coming on to the show today. We really appreciate it. I think system engineering is something that people don't often think about when they go to a live show. Um, and uh, it's really cool to get your perspective and your experience on the topic. So really appreciate you uh, joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Original music for this podcast is provided by Joshua Stromer. Check out joshuastromermusic.com. Joshua can help you out with original music for your production. During the COVID-19 quarantine, Joshua is also providing online music lessons. Please check out joshuastromermusic.com.